From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 753, PowerShell for DevOps with guest Rick Taylor, recorded Friday, November 6th, 2020. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Rick Taylor, who's a senior cloud infrastructure engineer from Carvana. Rick worked for Microsoft in the Business Productivity Online Services Division as a member of the SharePoint Platform Architecture team back in the day and was a senior consultant at the OpsCon team, and he's based in the Phoenix area. And who are you with today? You've left Microsoft. I have. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, was with Microsoft a couple of times. So that was the original uh, O365, if you will, the B-Paws. B-Paws. Those were challenging days, man. <laughs> we had a whopping three customers at that time. Yeah. Uh, Energizer, Coca-Cola, and Nokia. But, and lots, but lots of seats per customer too. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was the whole point. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I, I look at BPAWS from back in that day as this is how Microsoft learned to operate cloud, right? That's correct. And, and they did it the old fashioned way by making all the mistakes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'll tell you what, they did a lot of back end things. I mean, their SharePoint was not your SharePoint. No, you no. couldn't have what they had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is interesting to think about and even Red Dog, like all of those things that were cloud, that were derivations of on premises. And in these intervening years, it's turned over. Now, you know, your SharePoint is the SharePoint of the cloud moved on-prem. Same for Exchange. I don't know that SQL's quite there, but it's pretty close. Like, it does seem to be ultimately what's happening is the best-tested, most-stressed versions of these products are their cloud products. And so yeah. they, if you need to have it on-premises, you know, that's the product you're going to end up using. That's correct. It's now cloud first. So yeah. they will produce and and write for cloud before they do it for on-prem. Well, and experiment constantly. Like if you're actually subscribed to all those change emails to see the rate that fee- it's it's every almost every day I get one of those. You know? I let somebody else handle that. I, don't, <laughs> I, I, I can't handle it. There's just too much. Uh, I mean, I, I try to have a zero inbox deal, you know, going on right now. And no. Nah. No, no, no. Yeah, no, I look, don't at, look at you being so optimistic. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm building more and more rules in my inbox too, just to make sure I'm dealing with the most important stuff and less so on the less important stuff. Because I definitely feel like the email flows bumped up during the pandemic. Like it's it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. You're much more disciplined than I am. <laughs> I, I'm just using the tools before me, Rick. That's all I've got. I got I got one rule. If it comes from my manager or teammates, it comes here. Yeah. Everything else goes into yeah, other. The other. <laughs> and a whole lot of that. Yeah. It's interesting to see that, you know, the modern outlook is even building rules for you, essentially, creating the focused and the oh, other. Yeah, that's like, true. It is yeah. it is an interesting time. No, no question about it. Uh appreciate the the sort of arc of your work has been dealing with 
products at scale. So I, I got to think automation is in your in your your wheelhouse. Like one of the key things. I have a mantra. It's mm. if it can be automated, it must be automated. <laughs> nope, I did not say should. No, it must be automated. I I don't want myself or any of my teammates or my company to have to click next 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 finish. Right. It should just be on off if that is you know possible right. and then go through the gates that it needs to go through but yeah i'm very i'm a stickler for that yeah no more wizards no next 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 finish i'm sure i had a friend of mine who talked about building a you know that wizard buddy that just clicked all those buttons for you <laughs> yeah, you know i'm all for those wizard yeah. buddies yeah it, <laughs> is it you know i want someone to hey I, i'm putting in a request for this you know what do i have to do that, that request should only have to go to someone's inbox for approval. That's yeah. it. And then once they click approve, it automatically happens and they yeah. get the, the requester gets an email saying it's done. Yeah. You know, genie nods Thanks. their head yeah. and it's done. Over. That's, that's, that's serious automation. Uh, and these days you're focused on helping teams to, to build those kinds of automation for correct. software development. That is correct. So mm. in my position, I'm the senior cloud engineer. And so we deal with all of the cloud. So we have AWS, we have GCP, mm-hmm. which is Google, and yeah. we also have Azure. Yeah. And the reason for that is uh, we've decided that there are some cases where it is more uh, cheap, you know, it costs less to develop or deploy in one cloud provider than the other. And in some cases, we'll have better connectivity. For example, uh, SQL doesn't have AD uh, integration in GCP. Right. Although SQL is cheaper in GCP, it doesn't have that AD integration. So we do SQL in Azure. Mm -hmm. We may find that uh, networking is much more sophisticated and flexible in AWS than Azure or GCP. If we want to do Citrix, for example, we, we've got a whole bunch of offshore people and we have to deploy uh, VDIs. Yeah. Okay. We can't do it in GCP. We have to do it in Azure. Right. But GCP is great for multi-session mm-hmm. and much cheaper. So we do that in GCP. So we, we deal with all three, but then building those and as any IT pro will tell you, they really hate having to watch a progress bar. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, and it's, there's an amazing thing that that progress bar is hypnotic. Yeah. Because everybody who watches, they, they sit there for at least 15 seconds. You'll sit there and you'll watch that prog- progress bar. Just make it move. What? Yeah. Why? <laughs> and, I just want to make sure it doesn't go did, back down, right? Right. I admit yeah. it. I, one time as a programmer, I actually wrote a progress bar that after a while we actually go back down to see if you're paying attention. <laughs> yeah. It turns out don't do that. It really upsets people. That's evil, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, all progress bars are lies, Rick. You know they, they are. are. They go to ninety percent, and then they sit and there. They sit. There. Yeah, that's all it is. They're all because we don't know what the progress is really. <laughs> Neither. Do, yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're, yeah. And I've written one progress bar was. I, I had two options. I think one was on the percentage of the uh, number of files that it needed to copy. Right. And then the other on the actual percentage of the file that it was copying. So it knew that it was done with that. So it went to the next. Right. In some cases that did go back backwards. <laughs> right. And so. So you've done it too. That's what you're telling me. Yes, I have. Yes, <laughs> okay. I have. I've, I've repented right. and I know what would drive us crazy. 
the deal is that why are we watching this? Mm-hmm. So what I want is I want to deploy something automatically so we don't have to watch any more progress bars. Right. We can move on to other things. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily finished, but that it, I'll let you know when I'm done, off you go, yes. right? Give them a prompt, yeah. let them move on. Don't, no modal dialogues, no holding the machine hostage. That is correct. Mm-hmm. That is correct. The only thing that you need to be worried about is doing whatever it is that on that machine that you want. Yeah. Move on to the next thing. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting metaphors too. It's like I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of the distraction. You know, no spinny balls, none of that yes. stuff. Just like no nope. more shiny bobble syndrome. Yeah, go about your day one yes. way or the other. The uh, so do you have a preferred stack? Like I'm thinking about you dealing with all these different clouds and you're building all that automation. Like, is there a one tool to rule them all, or is an AWS stack and a GCP stack and an Azure stack just different? I think it's for my particular uh, job function. I think I have a stack of tools that I use. Mm-hmm. If I am going to deploy infrastructure, yep. I prefer to use a tool like Terraform. Right. Terraform is multi-cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and then using Terraform, I can then build out my infrastructure and then there's certain kinds of modifications that happen. So uh, how do I get those modifications or configurations done? I have another set of tools such as PowerShell. PowerShell is awesome mm-hmm. uh, for doing that. Um, there's a uh, a function in Terraform that will allow you to either run PowerShell against that instance that you are creating or do a remote exec, which means that the actual instance itself is running PowerShell. For example, I create a virtual machine in Azure mm-hmm. and I need it to download a file from the internet. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be a remote exec. So it would be the machine comes up and then it goes out to the internet itself, pulls down the file and does its configuration. Right. If I need to do something to that machine, for example, I need to, there's a, a policy that says, you know what? I'm only going to allow PowerShell to run if you are uh, signed scripts. Mm-hmm. So I will run a local exec provisioner in my Terraform file that says I'm, I, I need to lower that to say, unrestricted right so it will run unrestricted on that machine so there's it powershell is one of the tools that i use that is really really good ansible is another one yeah uh if uh especially since we use both linux and windows linux machines uh, use ssh mm-hmm. and so i may want this to to run a lamp stack so right. i got linux apache and uh, mysql and, and whatever so i'll i'll run ansible that will configure that that instance so that would probably be my stack right and he, and it's, it's going to vary a bit from place to place like Correct. i've also found we've we've had this conversation especially around something like terraform is that the ter- the providers for terraform for the different clouds are not equal either that terraform no, seems not. to be way more aws savvy than it is azure very savvy. much yes yeah. very much so yeah, as a matter of fact if you go to their documentation almost all of their examples are aws right and then you, 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 it's very good for Azure. It's, it's, it's very good mm-hmm. for GCP. It is lacking, but okay. it's getting there. But yes. So, I, I mean, and I think that's one of those interesting truths is even when you have a so-called cross-platform tool, its relationship with each platform is not symmetrical. That is correct. And so do you find PowerShell as glue? We're, you know, we've had this conversation before, but it's like well, that can fill in the yeah. gaps. So the, the cool thing that you just mentioned that th- even the, 
use that cross-platform tool. It is not equal across all. Mm-hmm. PowerShell is. Right. It is very, it, it's the same. Right. It does not matter. I can use PowerShell on Linux. I can use PowerShell on Mac. I can use PowerShell on Windows. And it's the same. I mean, the, the syntax is the same, but is it really comprehensively featured? I mean, obviously, it's had way more time in Windows land than it has in Linux. Yes, that's true. But it's the, I know that I have to deal with this object, whether it is a Windows object mm-hmm. service or whatever, or a Linux service or a Mac OS. I just know that I need to manipulate that object. I just right. need to find out what that object is. It will be different depending upon that platform. But as you said, the syntax is still the same. It's right. get, set, new. I'm still good. So yeah. I, I just need to find out what that object is that I need to manipulate and grab it. It's uh, it's a lot less work than Terraform where I have to change the provider. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, can I – it's not called – a network, uh, Azure RM network, but it's not that way in Google. It's VPC. Right. Uh, it is not that way at AWS. It's something, it's just, it, it, I mean, it's a, it's a different language almost. Yeah. But the objects you're calling do vary from platform to platform. So you, you do have to learn your platform. Yep, and that as well. Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely do. Because I don't think this is necessarily right, but I think a lot of folks think this way. It's like, I kind of want one tool to rule them all. So it sounds like there's I could do everything in just PowerShell. I can, um, but it, it requires a lot more work up front, and I can't. It, it's more if I want to build out, let's say, multiple machines. Mm-hmm. I have to repeat those commands mm-hmm. or have some very convoluted PowerShell right. to re- repeat through and do this and my code goes from 50 lines to 200 lines right powershell i can or uh terraform for example it's one right. i just say count i want three of these or 50 of these go until you get the 50 and then it goes and at the same time i'm sure there's things when you're working in terraform it's like this would be easier done as a little bit of powershell than yes. done inside yes. of, of terraform for example, that provisioner that I was just talking about, mm-hmm. you know, now I want to run the, the scripts, man. This would have been a lot easier. It, you know, in PowerShell, I would have just said, you know, this is what I want. Right. Give it to me. Do this. Because you, they don't talk to one another. I, I can't use a PowerShell command in Terraform. I mean, I have to manipulate it. But one thing that I can do is I can then use, say, CICD pipelines, Mm -hmm. and I can run PowerShell within that pipeline. And then now I'm dealing with kind of like two things. Terraform does its thing, right? and then PowerShell does its thing, and keeping them separate, doing the thing that they do well within their world, I like that. And that way I get to automate the whole thing, and I only have to go to one place. I've got a single pane of glass. And I'm good. That's, yeah, really interesting. And the CI/CD pipelines, is that, I mean, that is like the Azure DevOps tools or the- Correct. The that GitHub? is the Azure DevOps tool. Okay. That is, that's where I uh, deal with the infrastructure's code, if you will. Right. Um, and I, I bring all of that code into Azure DevOps, put it in a repo, and that way I can version it. I can uh, update it and have it automated. And I don't want to touch or see anything. The only time I want to ever- 
manipulated is what I got to make a change. Wow. Okay. And, and do you use that tool that way, even when you're working against other clouds as well? Like I, I, Azure DevOps or Azure makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. Azure DevOps will, de- mm-hmm. it will deploy. As a matter of fact, I have to, that's my job. Right. I have to automate it and use it against all the different clouds. So Azure DevOps will deploy to whatever cloud uh, because I use Terraform. And so it, basically what happens is I go to Azure DevOps and it says which provider. Right. And I'll tell it Azure or Google or AWS. And it says, okay. And it knows how to talk to the cloud. And I put my Terraform code in. Everybody holds hands, sings Kumbaya. <laughs> awesome. And Rick, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open source software for disaster relief organizations. One of the leading projects called Two Weeks Ready helps individuals, families, and communities prepare for disasters using smartphones. HDBox builds and operates this and other applications on behalf of a variety of disaster response organizations, and they need your help. Go to htbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HTBox is a 501c3 U.S. registered charity. Your donations help support the creation of this life-saving software. Thanks. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Rick Taylor. We're talking a little bit about the role of PowerShell in our DevOps practice, building out these infrastructure as code pipelines and so forth. And I really wanted, you said this casually in the first half, this sort of source control and check-ins, like uh, keeping all those bits together. That what Ansible does, what Terraform does, what scripts I'm going to run. And I don't know if this even makes sense. Having that as a version, like for this apps, this version, this is the pipeline with all of those pieces. Is that a construct that exists? Is that Azure DevOps doing that? So, and no, these concepts seem to be like blasphemy to an IT pro, right? Because these are not <laughs> typically terms that we as IT pros use. Sure. But this is something that's very familiar with a developer. Sure, Developers yeah. are very familiar with these terms of source control, mm-hmm. uh, repos, uh, branches, um, forking, those yeah. sorts of things. And these are terms and tools that developers have been using for years. Mm-hmm. And these are things that I think as IT pros, if we could incorporate that into our language and into our practices, we'll find that things move much more smoother for on our side of this IT uh, relationship, if you will. Um, for example, repos, where I keep all my code. Now, typically, IT pros, they've got a whole bunch of PowerShell scripts. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah. use PowerShell. I, I got a bunch of PowerShell scripts. Where do you keep them? Hmm. In a folder on your desktop. USB okay. key, man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then, uh, what if you have to update it? Then what? So then I got to go back and find out where that is. And mm-hmm. how do you know if that's the correct version? Yeah. You know, and then once you make that change, I mean, unless you make a copy of it and then you make a change and then you put it in the name or whatever in a comment section, it, it's just not orderly. Oh, no. It is install V1. Install V1 with fixes. Install V1, (laughs) update to fixes. Install V1, maybe this time. I've seen those files. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I used to have those files. They were everywhere. And then, you know, I would then, I thought I was being good by creating a folder and said, you know, V1, V2, V3 folder. Right. You know, oh, I have to revert back. So I have to go back to V2. But is that one going to work? And yeah. 
So now, but developers are looking at us like, what is wrong with these people? (laughs) IT pros can then take a page out of a developer's book and get into source code. Mm -hmm. So that's where, or source I should say, uh, yeah, source, like vaulting, source vault, right? So there's a, an Azure DevOps. So you've got these repos that you can put all your scripts in, everything. Mm -hmm. And then if you need to make changes, you just make changes there. Guess what? Azure DevOps remembers them. Yeah. And it will tell you who made a change. As a matter of fact, there's a little part in there that says blame. So you could. (laughs) (laughs) Who did that? Yeah. Who did that? When did they do that? And to what? And you could look at the changes. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, it occurs to me, Rick, this is the important shift. For a long time, your scripts were only yours. You were the mm -hmm. only one who ever ran them. But when you talk about like a pipeline like this, which anybody should be able to invoke, like your relationship to that code is different. Like you talk about a threshold there, a, a script that some that you wrote that somebody else has run, that's a milestone. Like you should go have a beer after that. Right. But a script that somebody else that you wrote that somebody else modifies and then run, like that's another yeah. beer. Oh, that's the, and not only that, we start talking about, hey, is there like a, uh, uh, what is that? community property law about this? I mean, hey, <laughs> hey, if we get divorced, do I get half of this code? I mean, <laughs> so when we put those things in and we have somebody else do it, and that's another concept yeah. that is really familiar with de- with developers, not so much with IT pros, called pull requests mm-hmm. or PRs. Yeah. So when you do this in Azure DevOps, so this is how we do it at Carvana. I put some code in there and then someone needs to make a change but they push this little button that says pull request now i think that's a misnomer it should be called push request because you're not pulling a change you're pushing a change and you are asking people to look at hey i want to make a change to this code right look at it please before it gets pushed but it's called the pull request so you're pulling this this code down and they look at it and everybody can say yeah oh hey you know what you got a typo here let me fix that Mm -hmm. everybody gets a chance to to say, okay, yeah. now the cool thing about that is you can have it automated to the point where if it's good and everybody gives the thumbs up, you push commit and it automatically runs. Wow. So now you've got the newest stuff out in your environment. Mm-hmm. That's called continuous integration. Right. You're integrating right? Those everybody changes is in. doing it constantly. Now, developers have been doing this all the time. This is something that IT pros can do with their own scripts. I'm part of this just acknowledging these scripts. We call them scripts because to avoid calling them code, but they're yeah. code. Right? <laughs> yes. And I it hate to say it, code. but YAML's code too, right? If it yep. can be executed by some piece of automation, it's code. That is exactly right. I, I guess for the ones who want to be pedantic, right? <laughs> code is telling hardware, telling the hardware what to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Whereas an application or a script is really, yeah, one's interpreted, one is compiled. Mm-hmm. If it's compiled, it's code. If it's interpreted, yeah, whatever. Whatever. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. HCL, which is uh, HashiCorp uh, version of YAML. Right. Right. Is how Terraform works. Mm-hmm. And so it looks, it looks like, it looks like a whole bunch of things. It's a, definitely a Frankenstein's monster of YAML <laughs> mixed with I don't know what, uh, uh, JSON. Right. I think, I think it's the JSON and YAML had a baby and it's called <laughs> HCL. HCL. <laughs> and it's, it's very easy to read. It's, IT pros really like code sure. that they can read. That's why PowerShell is a hit because you know exactly what's happening. 
I'm fast. We're, we are working in the CI CD pipelines to help our devs deploy software successfully. And in that is our own code in the form of this infrastructure as code. Like we're already doing all the things effectively. It's just go the rest of the way. Of That's course, exactly right. The next big piece in that process then is testing. Like how, how do we test IAC code? So it's the exact same thing. So I just had this meeting, was it last week, with mm-hmm. the security team, who are a bunch of IT pros yep. uh, as well. And they're just like, look, man, how do I know that's you built that right? Yep. How do I know that it that SQL server has got the correct ports open? We're not using 1433. We're using this port. Right. And we want to make sure that you've configured it. So we created this dock for you to make sure. Not a problem. Guess what? How many of us have built environments from a dock? Right. I get tired of that. Oh, yeah. Why don't we just have that scripted? Right. And yeah. then if they ever make a change to that dock, all you have to do is go back to the code and make that change there once. You don't have to worry about anybody missing it. You don't have to worry about everyone saying, you know what? I've done this so many times. I could do it in my sleep. Oh, guess what? Yeah. They didn't know about the change. Yeah. Now it's automatic. Now, what about testing as you were, as you were saying? Mm-hmm. Well, now, what kind of tests do you want to perform? Well, we want to see if you really did close that port or right. change it. Okay, I could write a script that will check that. You know, do a telnet. Telnet to this point. Yeah, you no know, response. A, okay, that port is no, closed, right? Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of uh, in the marketplace for Visual Studio, there's a lot of things that will do those types of checks for you. So you don't even have to come up with them on your own. Mm-hmm. IT pros love that as well. They don't like to have to write code from scratch. Right. They like to be able to manipulate. That. That's what we do. We go to Google or Bing. We download a script. And we're like, okay, I, I know where to make the changes. And voila, now it's mine. Yeah. You can do the same thing with these integrations with Azure DevOps. Put those integrations in. Make your little edits and changes. And it will do those tests for you. And then you can put in what is called a gate that says, if these things pass, move to the next step. Right. If these things fall and fail, send a notification and I'll stop. Excellent. And I, I, I just reminded me that we've done shows in the past around PowerShell and testing with a tool called Pester. Yes. So I took a quick look and it's like, wow, look at this project. It's on version five, you know, updated last month. So it's, you know, it's still doing its thing. I'll include a link in the show notes. But, you know, there are tools to help you in that weird role of test this this script to make sure it actually does what I'm saying it's doing. Yeah. Pester's excellent for testing your PowerShell. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, in Terraform's world, it actually has a built-in um, Pester, if you will. It's called, right. it's the argument called validate. Right. So it, you put a dash validate and it, boop, boop, and mm-hmm. it checks it. And then if you go to Azure DevOps, one of the little drop downs will say dash validate and apply. And there you go. Yeah. And it, well, this same thing is uh, PowerShell has a command for like, tell me what you would do if I give you this command. Right? That is correct. Yeah. So it, yeah, can, what if? Yeah, the what if? Like we we do have all these tools. We just have to sort of ritualize that we we do yep. this routinely. That it's just part of the job is to also do these steps. The way that my we all have a different way of doing things. Mm-hmm. I typically do it manually. And then once I figured it out that, okay, this is going to work, I'll take that code, 
I'll put it in my pipeline and I'll have Azure DevOps do it now because I, I, I know that it works. Right. And I do it. That's how I build my pieces. So I build the Lego. I know once that Lego will fit, then I make a mold. Right. And then it, it, it'll just continue to make that same piece. And off it goes. And I, I can see that these, because the ultimate, the ultimate test is just deploy it, right? Like mm-hmm. if we've got integration testing going and you're running in the cloud, it's not that hard to just aim this assembly of, of, of code to deploy the app into a, into a test instance and then do all integration testing. That is correct. I, and then you could just build stages yeah. uh, in Azure DevOps. It says, okay, if everything pass, all the tests pass, then go ahead and deploy it. And you right. can put a gate in there that... You know, someone has to get the approval to make sure, are we really going to do this? Yeah. Yes. And then it happens automatically. And then you can put other things in that say, okay, it gets deployed to that environment. And then after three days, if no one stops it, do it to stage. After a week, if no one says anything, deploy it to pre-prod. Yeah. And, and then you'll go through, you know, the appropriate cabs, you know, change control. Mm-hmm. Okay, everything passed. Are we going to say okay to the notification? Yeah. Yes. Send it off to the world. Send it off to the world. And you can just continuously do have that process. You can even integrate it in with uh, other tools such as Jira mm-hmm. uh, or Rike. Um, so I've got uh, a front end, for example, from Jira where a user, I think there's another one for ServiceNow even. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll have a front end. That says, Oh, you know what? I want a Windows server. I want it this big. I want it this and I, you know, whatever. Right. Push that and off it goes. It's really interesting to think through all those different workflows. And I, and I love the idea of that multi stage pipeline. So you could have multiple versions coming up the pipeline going through the different tests. Yes. And that is that that's something that the developer has always done that IT pros are just now embracing. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day we, you know, I have a dream. <laughs> I have a dream uh, where devs and ops uh, will see things the yeah. same way, the same color. And yes. But you know, I mean, you don't want them to be the same. They do different jobs, but at least value the differences. Yes. I want to, uh, how about uh, maybe not the same, but I want them to be on the same page. Yeah. I, I, I have said, talking on the, uh, on the dev side of this conversation, look, when ops comes to you and says, teach us about source control, throw a party because it's a good day, right? Like you know, celebrate that. We should all, you know, go go out and celebrate because you're coming to a realization. You know, it's sort of important part of I need this stuff to be sustainable. I need a history of it. I need multiple people to work on it. I want to eliminate that hit by a bus factor. Like all of those things come when we put these things into control. Good things can be good things for everyone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, so it's not being like a dev. It's recognizing how devs do this makes a lot of sense for some, for some of the things we're doing as well. That's correct. Taking the good practices and saying, hey, will this work for me? Mm-hmm. I don't have to say, oh, well, devs do that. I don't want to do that. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Devs do this. Can I do that? Does it work for me? Yeah. I may have to modify it a little bit or change it, Mm -hmm. but it's still something that I find value in. Well, and worth having a conversation with someone who's used it for years and probably gone through a bunch of convolutions along the way, like it save you some pain of, you know, don't need to relearn all these things. You learn from the folks who've already done it. Yes. It's, 
it's something like, oh, you know what? You might find this might be helpful. I've, mm-hmm. I've seen that over and over again. Yeah. And devs are, you know, they're looking at operations saying, oh, holy cow, these guys really aren't just flipping me off saying, no, I can't deploy my code. Now I understand why, because that it, it, it starts that conversation of, yeah. oh, that's why they stop it. And this is why they do that. And people start thinking. And that's what DevOps is really about is having that conversation and being to understand, uh, under, coming to an understanding that, Hey, you know, this is the concern of ops. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is what dev is really trying to accomplish. Right. Oh, you know what? We can work together by doing it this way. Yeah. Our goals are not against each other. We are all trying to deliver customer value. Ultimately, we just have different measurements. I and we hit think, nirvana. Yeah. Well, and it, yeah. Uh, what, what is it that Gene Kim say, says? Oh, that's stage three, joy. Stage three. Yep, <laughs> joy. Gene Kim is awesome. Yeah, he's Love great. Love that guy. Yeah, he's amazing. Amazing, amazing story. I, I'm thinking specifically about your security story that I think, you know, including a, a senior dev in that conversation, just because they'll see it differently. I think one of the things you are you struggle with is like the tooling to understand vulnerabilities like that is not as rich as a, a lot of the other tool spaces too. So it's hard to test that. You would not necessarily want to write PowerShell scripts to validate port openings and so forth. Like you kind of have to scrounge the right tools together to discover those things, and be able to measure them. And th- yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, I think I mentioned there's some tools in Visual Studio Marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, that will help you. A lot of them are free. Yeah. Uh, some of them do cost money, and I understand that. Uh, but some of those may work better. That I I pointed our infosec team to. You know, what kind of testing do you guys want to do? It's not my job to make sure everything is as secure as it needs to be. That's your job, right? And you could tell me, you know, test for this and test for that. But it would probably be more fruitful if you went out to this place. You research these tools mm-hmm. that will test for whatever you need, and I will integrate that. That's yeah. the conversation that we – Yeah, that's a great DevOps conversation right there as well, right, is is the tooling approach of uh, of IT applied to security concerns. Like when, when we cross-pollinate between these different groups of folks and the different ways of thinking, because I've, I've also seen that exact same issue working on, on uh, you know, disaster response on a Saturday with an e-commerce site that's struggling, and we brought a senior dev in, and then one thing he wasn't allowed to do was write any code, right? But I was looking for him to provide us insights into the way, why it was behaving the way it was. And the best thing that came out of that experience was the senior dev saying, you guys need better instrumentation. Like, you can't see what's going on. And it ended up building dashboards, right? Consoles for operations to be able to observe and ultimately actually do like test transactions and stuff through this e-commerce system. It was another moment where I thought, yeah, when... When a work item for software is added to a project to directly benefit IT or operations folks, that's another party. Oh, yeah, it is. Maybe there's a book here, Rick. There's a Rick on DevOps, when to throw the parties, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's we're, a, we're, to add work to developers who always have lots of things to do because it will actually help operations understand the app in a crisis. Like that's an interesting point at which the team, the, the, the various aspects of the team are helping each other in a very deep way. I can help you solve this problem with code, 
right? The same way you talk to security about, we can help you with tooling to understand the security context. Like we, each of these different viewpoints comes with certain skills that will benefit the others if we have the conversations. Absolutely. Having those conversations with your teams, whether it be developers or security or whoever Mm -hmm. is really that first step. It's what can I do to be, to make your job more smooth. Your app does this. Mm -hmm. We don't like that. Or we would like like to understand why it does that. Well, this is how it works. You may have to sit through things that you don't understand, but then asking those questions. Well, if we did this, would that work? If we did brainstorming and then it's like, yes. And then you can go off, build something, come back, test it. I mean, that's the whole the whole point. I'll throw another idea at you. This is one that I saw and I've seen a few teams now where the the tech support group brings their five most common t- ticket types, like they, they sort of have categorized them, to a team that is the de- developers and operations and folks and so forth. It's like these represent substantial expenditures, right? We're spending a lot of time doing this. And they have a conversation about can we mitigate the tickets with new code? Or with new policies, you know, it's new configuration features. Like that, that each skill set came to those looking at different ways they could solve them. And the measure ultimately was that the, the, you know, that class of ticket dropped out of the top 10. Hmm. That when we, when we wrote the right code to take away that, you know, maybe it was a workflow program and redesigning the code made it easier. Oh, this is a policy that has a bunch of steps to get through it. Let's reconfigure the policy. And then, you know, a quarter later when they came back and look at the tickets, it's like, hey, we knocked that one out. Like it's, we still get them once in a while, but it went from in the top five to in the top 200. Very nice. By the way, now the time for a great party, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. But we talk Take about all these teams that are working to, to provide value to our customers. Like we can help them with, uh, with different styles, with all the different skills we've got. That's yeah. With that fruit salad. I'm sure there's some PowerShell in this conversation somewhere, Rick, but I've, <laughs> but I've really enjoyed sort of digging into this problem. It is. I, I found that, you know, PowerShell has its place when you mm-hmm. need to really do things to a system. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's like it, it's the assembly language of the operating system now, right? That we're, it doesn't matter what it is, what security context, what things it needs to call into, it can do it. Yep. Or if it's in the Microsoft world, even for applications, uh, yeah. Exchange was the first to embrace it. Yeah. Uh, even to the point, I think maybe 20, 2007, I think they said this was going to be their default. And in 2012, 13, somewhere around there, they gave you a GUI, but it wasn't the GUI. It was, it ran PowerShell. Yeah, it was a PowerShell macro generator, right? <laughs> yeah. It just told you, thought you were clicking next, but that was just generating code. Yeah. That did something. I, I think and, IIS and, did that as well, where eventually IIS yep. administrator was just a PowerShell generator. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. And uh, by the SharePoint now being online, if you're going to manipulate it, that's basically how you would do it. If, sure. if, if someone says, hey, I, we're going to do SharePoint. Oh, okay. Open up, you know, the, the, the admin center and say, okay, let me download the SharePoint online module. Let me install it because that's how I'm going to do it. That's how we're going to do it. Yeah. And it's, a, and it's a better way to think. It offers more features. And I've had Jeff Snover on the show a bunch of times. And he once told me, and I think it may have been over a drink, so I might be outing something here. He said, <laughs> oh, I got my distinguished engineer for inventing PowerShell, but I got my, uh, my technical fellow for getting everybody in the company to use it. Oh, that's what he, I remember him saying yeah. that we, uh, 
we spoke um, together at the uh, European PowerShell mm-hmm. Summit. And I got a great picture of you. I have to share it with you. He, awesome. he was just, he had been to three different continents in two weeks. Oh, man. And I got him. I have a picture of him sitting in the corner, knocked out, his arms folded. And he's just, I mean, he's just done. out cold. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not easy to be a tech fellow, it's for sure. No. Uh, no. Rick, thanks so much for this conversation. A ton of fun and some really great thinking about, you know, how all these pieces go together. Uh, and, and funny how DevOps always ends up being about culture too, right? Like when I think about our favorite parts of this conversation too, it was those cultural conversations, how those we're going to work together. are the most interesting. Yeah. But the tools are useful. They, you know, they ultimately implemented and PowerShell clearly has a role. Yep. I appreciate you inviting me. I, I could talk about this all day, literally. <laughs> I think we're going to. Thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.